listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 482. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss the Prime video, Lord of the Rings prequel, The Rings of Power. we got a lot to talk about tonight. Suffice it to say, you and I are in a good mood. We've got the best kicker in the history of the world, mm-hmm. arguably one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the world, and we'll just leave and it at that. And a bunch of other guys who every now and then can make a play. Yeah. Hopefully... <laughs> yeah yeah um, the ravens did win so that was you know i'll take i'll take the w after you know they they had every opportunity to blow it again and they decided to actually steal victory from the jaws of defeat instead yeah. of the other way around this yeah. time so, so we got the g-men of new york this week and uh you know hopefully we'll get another w but uh all right well listen dude we got a lot to talk about we got some great feedback this week you know, I'm just going to kind of blend my what I'm watching with a little bit of news, and I'm going to try to be real quick. I don't know if you've watched Invasion on Apple TV Plus, nah. but you know, I'm four episodes in. I don't know that I can recommend it, but I guess I'm into it enough that I'm going to keep going at least for a while. There's only so many ways you can tell an alien invasion story, which is apparently what this is, but... Uh, you know, the, the characters are kind of compelling. It's following this uh, female Japanese. You know, she works for their equivalent of NASA, and, and she works in mission control. Uh, it follows uh, a married couple with two children uh, that are of Middle Eastern descent. And, and as all hell's breaking loose, they are faced with, uh, you know, the kinds of prejudice that we certainly saw against those those people after 9-11 we've got uh and bus full of english school kids that uh yeah. are giving us kind of a little lord of the flies yeah, right. feel to it so you know stay it's, away from those choir boys yeah no kidding but uh so boys and girls in in, in this case so and then we've got and, and the only actor that i recognize is shamir anderson who was in winona erp he was FBI agent Dolls, and he is an American soldier stationed in Afghanistan. So it's following these four groups, and you know the acting's great, the you know, but it's easy peasy. Four episodes in, get the you know anyway, and they're not forty <laughs> minute episodes; they're fifty five. Oh, but uh, right. but the main thing I wanted to bring up is the twenty twenty two Saturn Awards will drop on october 25th and that if you don't know the academy of science fiction fantasy and horror films and i'm just going to touch on a couple of groups they break it down in television between network and cable and then streaming so network cable best sci-fi tv series and i'm going to apologize up front to my dc cw friends out there but the flash Mm. really supergirl well i'm sorry you know it's been a while i haven't haven't seen the flash i I mean okay i quit in the beginning of season three few shows get better (laughs) as they go on so we'll just leave it at that supergirl and superman and lois so three of the six uh, uh, that's the best we got now yeah, it sounds like there's a, a strong uh, lobbying uh, effort on the 
on Time Warner going on oh, I there. I guess. Now, Resident Alien, I haven't seen it, but I've read good things about it. And, you know, it doesn't appear to be real serious, but that, you know, is, is certainly okay. The Man Who Fell to Earth on Showtime. Again, I've got Showtime. I just haven't gotten around to it. And I've read a lot of good things. But, dude, it, it, it feels like the Ravens taking on Clemens Crossing Elementary School because the <laughs> final candidate is Westworld. Yeah. I, I mean, I, again, I don't know how many times Westworld's won it, but. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Now, the other. It seems like to be in a different class than those other shows. Yeah. That's what you're suggesting. Exactly. Now, the other category, you know, is for fantasy. Doctor Who. Okay. I guess it's mm-hmm. fantasy. I, I would certainly think it's more Probably. sci-fi. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, okay. La Brea, which is definitely absolutely 100 percent sci-fi not fantasy at all i mean unless you consider time travel fantasy which okay fine but ghosts which i assume is fantasy and you've spoken highly of that yeah riverdale shining veil star girl okay fine all fantasy and and i'm, I'm not going to make any judgments about who the winner should be here obviously we've talked many times about the weakness of the stories in in doctor who during the jody whittaker incarnation but anyway it's almost like well did you just need to fill out the yeah you know so okay anyway that that's that's the end of my rant doctor who and give me five other shows yeah so we'll we'll bring up the streaming categories next time but uh what do you got okay well as uh fred is mentions it brings up the beginning of his feedback i finished watching picard season two which uh, I know, Fred, that you, you would think I would have watched it by now, but, you know, it's just, I, I just, was just to add on that one more streaming service cost, uh, you know, just really difficult to do that. And it just got to a point where we just wanted to watch an episode of Ghosts and I figured, all right, what the heck. I don't imagine I will keep this membership up after the month, but I probably will watch Strange New Worlds. Uh, but, Picard season two, uh, you know, I I definitely enjoyed it. You know, there's definitely some aspects of it that they are just kind of like, you know, playing to the fans. You know, they bring back Guinan, they bring back Q. But there were also times when I was like, that this, I mean, even when when I question Star Wars, then that's bad because, you know, Star Wars comes up, star, star, sorry, Star Wars, Star Trek. Star Trek comes up with some pretty extravagant, to, to say the least, uh, plot devices. And there were just some in Picard season two that were just some whoppers. I was just like, mm, I, I don't know about that. But uh, overall, super enjoyable. Uh, you know, Jerry Ryan back as seven to nine was fabulous. Uh, you know, cast was great. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart obviously is amazing in the role that he, you know, basically created and is him and, uh, no one else could ever really hope to 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 do it, though. Of course, you know, maybe Chris Pine will play him later on in life or something. And then um, I just want to put out there because I haven't talked about She Hulk in a while, and I know She Hulk got a lot of guff early on and was catching a lot of hate, but the last two episodes of She Hulk have been awesome. Two episodes ago, she, uh, you know, the abomination. I'm not going to go into because you, you, you probably. Yeah, this the, the abomination. Tim Roth plays the abomination. He's like on house arrest. He can't turn into the abomination. He's like another Hulk-like guy. 
Um, so his tracker goes off, and so she goes out to where his like retreat, and he's running this retreat like, and, and doing like counseling for other. I don't even know what this. I guess like superhero kind of like people, and uh, and She Hulk ends up having to sit in on a session. Obviously, that you know, we saw the setup, but it was so funny. I was just crying like the whole time. It was hilarious. And then the next episode, Daredevil. Yeah. So She Hulk has been coming on strong down the uh, the home stretch here, and we've got. Um, just like with Lord of the Rings, only one more episode left of that. Uh, the last thing is the book I've been talking about for a while. Finally finish Stranger in a Strange Land. Okay. Yeah. All I'm going to say is I get that it's a classic. I understand that it's a well-loved book. It's just not well-loved by me. Okay. And I'm going to take my 2001 unpopular stance and and throw stranger in a strange land right next to it i just it was such uh such a slug getting through that book i was so relieved i was actually disappointed when i went to drop it back off of the library and my daughter was like can i do it and i'm like yeah but i really wanted that closure of putting the book in the book drop and just slamming the door on it yeah did Be gone, Robert Heinlein, from my life. Did but, not age well. No, it has not aged well at all. And um, you know, but again, it's it, there's there's some good stuff in it, but just I don't know. I think the the downsides of it to me, and I, you know, I I understand what I'm saying is probably very unpopular, and that there's lots of people out there right now probably shaking their fist at the sky, saying, "Wayne, you are a complete moron," and that may be, but I'm going to stick to. My opinion, I wasn't a yeah. great fan. Though, I, you know, again, I did read the whole thing. I, I didn't. It wasn't so bad. I quit on it. I wouldn't even say it was bad. It's just it wasn't for me, and I didn't quit on it. I read the whole thing, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, nah. Okay, well, I'm about two thirds of the way through the Man in the High Castle, which I've mentioned a couple weeks ago, and while I'm not feeling the same kinds of things you're feeling about Stranger in a Strange Land, I'm certainly ready to unequivocally say that the TV series is heads and shoulders above the novel. I'm sorry, okay. it just is. Yeah. And right. I, I, I'm again, I'm like two-thirds of the way through, and I'm like, well, okay. I mean, you know, I get the alternate history thing, but a classic? Okay, I guess. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Who, uh, you know, these, these things are – decided in other realms out there that that i'm not a part of or privy to so anyway well let's get to the rings of power episode seven of season one the penultimate episode titled the eye and i had to check myself for a minute wait a minute is that the house of the dragon the the eye but uh but no and i was ready to maybe talk a little bit about dragon tonight but i think we'll wait till the season's over because uh wow (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. Are you caught up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, yeah. House of Dragon is killing it. Yeah. No kidding. But uh, anyway. Literally. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, killing it's, people. It's, it's really slicing through uh, their. Uh... All right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this one's written by Jason Cahill, directed again by Charlotte Brandstrom. Released it's, on. It's the best. It's 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 the greatest invention since sliced head. I mean, bread. <laughs> <laughs> he can keep his tongue, though. Um, October 7th, 
2022. All right, dude, I'm going to be all over the place with tonight's discussion. So just, right. you know, we, we've got three storylines again, uh, yep. which is, Fine. Which is yeah, cool. we got the Harfoots back. Right, so I'm very right. happy about but, that. But, you know, I want to start out with uh, the elves wanting the mithril to extend their lives apparently beyond what's natural. And the more I think about it, and, and certainly it, it got even stronger, my feeling that is on my rewatch, is this just hubris on their part? Because I'm really siding with Durin Third, you know, the, the current king that uh, I don't, I mean, I get it, but I, I don't get it. Well, I, I just, part of, part of me, why I, 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 my head's not there. It's just the knowledge of how imperative the elves are in the two wars that will follow. Okay. So then it is hubris. They they feel like, well, we're that important. We yeah, need well, to live longer right. than everybody else, even though we already do anyway. Right. So, okay. And, I mean, that's just something that's not going to go away anytime soon. And, right. and, and I was never a big Elrond fan to begin with in whoa. the series. Whoa. So, right. well, you, you know, step back, brother. Now, granted, he doesn't <laughs> cause a scene when he and Durin got, get caught by the King, but, but still, but then, you know, that scene at the end, that little piece that he has in his hand, are, what are we supposed to think about that? Are we supposed to take something away? Yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, he's got it. He's looking at it like he got away with something. So is it that, what, he's got this piece and he can take it back to Elfland and they can, you know, go to one of their factories and reproduce it? I I mean, that's got, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's it. If anything, maybe he's looking at it as, um, you know, sort of like, you know, kind of like a, a symbol of you know the the unity between him and Durin, or maybe okay or something. You oh. know, because the, the only place you get Mithril is out of the the mines of Moria, which uh, Durin the Third is planning to shut down. Okay, and, and you know, certainly we see you know when it ends up next to that dried up leaf that the you know leaf. You know, kind of regenerates but uh but the, you know when you look at the entire context of the story i mean number one elrond makes a deal uh, i don't want to say you can't refuse because the king basically refuses it but it's a pretty impressive offer although uh what is it three centuries or four centuries i forget what it is that they get access to the mithril mines. Oh, five centuries. I'm sorry. Yes, right. But but then the king talks about the instability of the mines, and you know we get that thing, you know, with uh, Durin and Risa, and and again she's a character that the more I see her, the more I dislike her. You know, I'm, I'm all like, she's like almost like a little. Lady Macbeth. I was type. about to say, I bet you go on Lady Macbeth. Yeah, there's that. There was certainly that element there, but also, I mean, she's not wrong, right? Well, okay, so we're willing to risk dwarf, uh, dwarven lives in these unstable mine shafts, unless the king's lying about that, which maybe he is. But 
you know, it's not that important for the dwarves to get the mithril, at least at this point, based on what we know. So, I, again, I've said this before, you know, in, in many different shows that we've covered that, you know, the Kings made a decision. I feel it's based on reason. And, nope, we've got our own needs and wants, and we're going to do what we want anyway. All right. But yeah, I, I think, you know, during the sun, though, has – and this is a very father-son argument, like, right? Well, it like, is. This is for your safety. But no, you're holding me back. You know, like kind of this that dynamic there, which is, you know, if you break it down, that's kind of like I think basically what the argument is here. But, you know, during the sun isn't 100% wrong. Like this is a chance for for greatness, right? For For something transcendently awesome that's fallen into their lap. You know, well, you're right. There is an element of, of risk there. Uh, but you know, in order to, you know, what what great thing was achieved without risk? I think is basically kind of Duran's uh, the son his his point there. Well, it's transcendently awesome for the elves because it will allow them to extend their lives. So un- unless we're to believe that all of this food and timber that they're going to receive in return is going to transcend their lives. I'm not sure I'm I'm buying it. I mean, we don't necessarily get the sense that food is a problem for the dwarves or timber or, you know, whatever. So I get what you're saying about, you know, nothing great's ever achieved without sacrifice. I get that. On the other hand, you know, again, it's funny. I said we're not going to talk about uh, Game of Thrones and, and we're not. But I mean, you know, you've got two kings that are more concerned with just keeping the peace. Yes. And then we have to question, well, how are they going to go down in the history books as rulers? And that's, you know, maybe a fair point, but uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for not getting your citizens into a war or not getting a lot of your miners killed in a, cave in but anyway i don't want to believe yeah well i, I yeah. think there there is again not to go too far down this, but but you you do raise a valid point viserys says not um during the third but certainly during the third must feel is that you know who cares what history says of me i i did a good job of you know the my people thrived when i was the ruler you know yeah everything was good we were at peace we made money people were happy people were safe <clears throat> you're not going to get a big section of history books if you're that type of king because you know i mean like for example richard the lionheart who might have been one of the absolute worst kings of england but has a statue outside the parliament because he went traipsing around and making war there's there's a there's definitely that dynamic going on here yeah and that quote from Duran squandering the future so you can cling to the past i mean i don't know that that's entirely fair you know i get it again just as you've said that that you know we do need to move move into the future they do discover this huge vein that is just remarkable but then getting back to Duran's wife who props up his flagging spirits and and now I believe we learned earlier that she was the one that discovered Mithril. 
for the first time and in, in, unless I'm misremembering, which is uh, certainly possible. So I don't know if she feels that she has a right to it because she was like, you know, this is ours. It's like, no, it's not. But anyway, and then in that last, you know, where the king says to seal it up and he throws that leaf in that seems to activate some kind of evil looking fire yeah, monster. you know what that is. Well, I'm not. The Balrog. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Okay. I mean, it looked just like it. Oh, all right. So, so then, you know, on the one hand, uh, maybe to the uninitiated, I'm certainly, even though I've read all the books eons ago, uh, I feel uninitiated with the uh, <laughs> lore of the Lord of the Rings. Well, there's a big scene in the, well, you. Well, I didn't see any of the movies. There's a big scene in the movie where Gandalf is squaring off on the bridge. He's like, thou shalt not pass, okay. you know, and everything. So, dude, you guys see the movies, Okay, man. well, oh well you know, I mean, are we <laughs> maybe meant to think, well, you know what? maybe the king is right maybe mithril is inherently evil and and of course we're just left with that scene and that's that's the last we we see of that storyline but uh i mean certainly it's good to be back with durin and and, and elrond and, and that storyline the other thing i i feel like comes out of this episode and dude it seems like we're talking grades and it's usually me that brings it up much earlier than we usually do. Right, right. I mean, I think this is just an outstanding episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm full on A. I mean- Yeah, I, I, I think I'm A-ish. And, and I get why Fred grades it down a little bit. And, you know, yeah. we'll talk about that. And, yeah, and that I get sense. that. I, I do understand his reasoning There's behind some, it. definitely some bummers. Yeah. But some of the other, like the IMDB score for this episode, I, I don't understand. But but the elven-human relationships that are being repaired, thanks to Galadriel, Halbrand, Bronwyn, Arendir, the Queen Regent, I, I think that's really an important aspect of not only the last couple episodes, but but really what comes out of you know this episode and just some really uh, just goosebump causing scenes. I mean, certainly one of which you know when uh, uh, Galadriel's talking to Arendir about you know the Queen's promise. You know, do you think she'll keep it? No, I'm certain she will. You know, yeah. it's like just oh, you know, that and, was and nice. just. And I mean, I, I really liked the Queen Regent before this episode, but oh my gosh, just, uh, just. Yeah, well, I think we were a little bit uncertain of her at first because she was in opposition to Galadriel. Sure. Uh, and of course, we're, everyone's completely team Galadriel. But but now, I mean, yeah, now she's, she's hardcore, you know. Like, yeah, so. and, and I mean, certainly, again, honor and bravery – have never been in short supply, but it just feels like this episode, it's just exploding, whether it's elves, humans, Harfoot, uh, you know, again, that scene at the end with the Harfoot, well, you know, we'll get to this stuff in a, in a second, you know, where Nori and, 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 uh, God, what was Poppy. Poppy, I was going to say, I don't know why I was going to say Brandy. Um, no, I thought you'd say Poopy. Yeah. <laughs> are are going to go, warn the stranger just like oh you know and it's like no you're not unless i go with you you know well you can't you know it's just like oh you know and you know you look at that and on the one hand the harfoot admit they were right to help the stranger 
And then we contrast that with Elendil, and we get he's mourning his son. But I regret ever pulling her into the boat. I should have left her in the ocean to drown. It's like, you know, take a lesson from the Harfoot, dude. You know? Right. Well, we get, as you said, we get it. Like, he is hurting. Now, it hurts a little bit less that we know that his Sealder's not dead. And the fact that even if I didn't know that, like the fact that we see there's no body or anything like that, then I think you know, when a character that that big dies, it's you don't leave it just like unconfirmed unless he's going to be back. Right. Yeah. And we get with the dad that that they've had a strained relationship and, and just have begun to repair it. And, you know, right. we talked about last week or the week before, I forget what. So, you know, we get that, but, uh, you know, you yeah, yeah, well, he, well, he's, you know, while he's hurting, we, you know, the, the, what the queen sees that Elendil can't see through his grief is that, yeah, we, we took it on the chin maybe this time, but this was clearly a, a valid threat to all everyone. And it is something that we cannot allow to, to, to live. We can't allow this evil to continue. Like we have to come back. Yeah. Um, so the main story is the aftermath of the Mount Doom explosion and that opening scene. I, I, I mean, the color red dominates that image of Galadriel regaining her bearings covered in ash and just the, the horrific nature of it certainly takes us, you know, as Americans back to some of those images we saw uh, you know, in the Twin Towers coming down in 2001. And, and you know, it makes me even think of what it must have been like, um, you know, in the firebombing of Dresden in 1944. And, you know, Fred brings up his medical nitpicks. And, dude, Fred, I'm with you there, bud. Uh, there, <laughs> you know, uh, when, we, when we saw Galadriel just, you know, walk into this wall of fire, it's like, okay, I know she's an elf. <laughs> Her hair's not yeah. even singed, even right. a little, but okay, whatever. So, um, yeah, and, and that's one of the issues I have. I mean, I know this is fantasy, but these are human beings, elves who are, you know, whatever. Okay, so uh, just leave it at that. Um, but, but just from, you know, a, a, an image standpoint, just what the, this horror that we're seeing and just... Uh, the queen helping with the search and, and, you know, this apocalyptic event that has, has happened. And then all of a sudden it just shifts to the idyllic Harfoot in Mm -hmm. a, you know, a nice quiet brook refreshing. And as from an editing standpoint, it's just brilliant. I thought. Yeah. Well, and that's what, again, yeah. When you go from the one, extreme to the other but then even in the you know um tranquil i guess scene of, of the harfoot tranquil isn't the right word the the bucolic scene there's they, they come over the hill and this place where they were meant to get all their food and everything is destroyed right and we see they finally caught up with the rest of their 
people and and uh you know that that uh, you know we'll learn a little bit more about that so, so well, yeah we'll, we'll get to that in a minute um you know you and i always talk about character pairings anytime the the main group uh, gets split up and i love galadriel and theo together yeah, yeah that was a that was a unique pairing i definitely found myself asking like why is this happening well you know if we go back to you know the whole hero's journey and the way campbell envisions it i mean certainly it's reasonable to see her as theo's mentor and while arendir certainly has played that role to a certain extent you know you wonder whether arendir might even be a little too close i mean he's not theo's father but he is a father figure, and, and that's only likely to get, you know, even more pronounced as the story goes on. So here it is, you know, the commander of the Northern Army is with me, and, and, and we're talking, and she's, you know, imparting all these words of wisdom to me. So, um, you, you know, I, I just really found this pairing fascinating, and and. Yeah, well, and it makes her her comments more valid for Theo because, you know, if your mom tells you like, "Oh, it's yes. not really your fault," you know, don't worry about it. You're just gonna be like, ah, "You're just saying because you're my mom, right?" You know? and, but when this great warrior princess tells you, you're like, "Oh, all right," you know, like, yeah, makes it hits home a little bit more, you know. And, and that's even what I meant about Arendir, even though he's a, a, certainly a, a warrior in his own right. It, it's maybe he's a little too close. Yeah. Um, Plus, he's trying to get on with his. Mom, well, there, so. there is that. There's issues there too. But, but some of the things that that Galadriel says, because we see her, I think it's reasonable to call her aloof. Yet, her time with Theo. And even in the aftermath, she, she's really kind of come down to earth a little bit. And understand, she's the commander of the Northern Armies. She has to be separate from everybody else. But, but now, and, and when he says, have you killed many orcs? Oh, that's great. And, and, and she says, no, it's not great. It darkens the heart to call dark deeds good. And of all the lessons she could teach him i i think this may be the most important and we already know he's struggling with it because of the hilt yes right right um and you know and this actually starts making me wonder because you know like there's a lot of people like a sealder in here who will become great down the line but uh right now are, are pretty you know innocuous you know and again this is i know it's thousands of years in the future and i know it's not him but the king of Rohan in the Lord of the Rings is Theoden. So, you know, I'm kind of like half wondering is like this a distant ant will he become the you know the 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 founder of the the riders of Rohan here or something like that. So I you know, I, I'm actually gonna kind of maybe chuck that out there as a little as a prediction. Uh, we might not find out that until twenty twenty five. Couple seasons down the line, but uh I'm gonna I'm gonna stake my claim to that one that that somehow Theo is gonna be like the forebear for the Rohan. Well, we also get a little bit of backstory as the two of them are making their way, you know, back to the Numenor forces. And and while we know she lost a brother, we didn't know about the husband. Uh, and she tells a story 
how he went off to battle and, 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 you know, she talks about how they met, you know, dancing in a field or whatever. He, he's like, whoa, wait a minute. You were dancing, <laughs> which I thought was yeah. just classic. Right, right. And, and then when she tells him that she even made fun of her husband because his armor didn't fit. And, you know, it's one of those things that she's probably had a lot of time to regret saying that because he never returned from the war now uh, uh, of course we're thinking like he's probably still alive and and well and yeah he was he was in the movie so oh know. okay okay so there you go all <laughs> right so there's another one he shows up at uh at the uh, aragorn and and his wedding so uh so i feel like he's not dead yet okay but he's, by the time he gets back and reunited with her she's already going to be you know hooking up with halbrand so well then that is an issue isn't it okay yeah. <laughs> anyway so we'll see um yeah and and then you know we, we mentioned ellen dill saying that he should have never pulled the elf on board and, and, and you know we get that and i think fred uh, again i think it was fred that mentions the, the the horse most certainly is taking off to find isildur yeah and absolutely i don't know how long we're gonna have to wait i mean we've only got one more episode for this season so whether it's going to happen, I'm next- going to make another prediction. Okay, we'll see Isildur in the next episode. Okay, why did you, uh, were there previews? No, I just, but I mean that's that's a softball. I, I would I would think yeah. I, I would I would think, but uh, I mean they just went through s- such uh you know like they they're like going to like extra pains to assure us that he's still out there somewhere you know like and the horse was just the 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 last straw. You know? Yeah, and and I like the fact that the father, he he actually believed that he was going to be able to tame the horse, I think because of lessons he learned from his wife. But, and again, I forget which of Isidur's friend that was with uh, with his father, but he says, nah. The you, living one. Yeah, the living one. It's like, nah, give it up. He won't listen to anybody. And then the horse just runs off, and, and we know that's where he's headed. Well, especially since they went to, the, you know, talking about how the, the, the rider and the horse uh, have this bond between them, and the horse knows what the, his rider is thinking. So it's like. Okay. Oh, I mean, they they totally set that this whole scene up, you know, yeah. in the last episode, right? And, and then the last part of this storyline, you know, Galadriel thinks Halbrin has died, and then she finds him gravely wounded. Plans to take him for some elven medicine, but that walk through the to the cheers of the Southlanders again, just just goosebumps that that, yeah. uh, and, and he's totally bought into. The idea that I need to be the leader for these people. I'm the leader they need, and you know, again, it's it's such a transformation for this character from when we first meet him. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll see him healed next week. I would think, but I don't know. Maybe that's a softball too. I mean, you got it. You got to feel that you know, we're going to see all the major characters next week. I don't know if you looked at that article that I posted in the Facebook group. I haven't. No. I mean, it literally does not look like we're going to get season two until maybe 2024. Oh, even though they're already filming. So right, right. Well, know. a lot of a lot of post production going. Yeah, I guess. 
All right, and then of course the Harfoot, and you know we mentioned that uh, that that idyllic setting, which comes in stark contrast to the you know the Dresden like firebombing that that we see with Galadriel and, and the forces of Numenor, and like you said that that first we're, we're we're presented that contrast between you know the the aftermath of the firebombing and then you know they're tramp traipsing along and you know this cool water of the brook. And then, boom, they see, like you, you had mentioned, where they expected to get food, you know, replenish their supplies, and it, it's just burned out. And, you know, in, in this case, I guess it's the lava or whatever Mount Doom is spitting out when it erupts, right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. And, and uh, you, you know, the, we see the stranger trying to heal that charred tree and and you know we're not the only ones obviously debating the identity of the stranger so we still don't have an answer i I still think your suggestion is probably going to come true but you know what's the deal with him healing these trees and and you know after you know he walks off i i guess the whole area kind of regenerates and and suddenly their food is plentiful once again so i mean is this magic he's performing or something yeah. else yeah i think it's, no, it's gandalf okay okay and i think it's magic okay. but he's like you know it's just so weird because it's almost like he doesn't 100 percent like really know who or what he is but he kind of instinctively it seems knows what to do uh but felt he failed because you know he tried to you know, make the tree grow fruit, and instead the branch fell off and almost took out uh, Nori and her sister. Yeah, because they got too close to the tree. Uh, it, it's not his right. fault. Sorry, people. Yeah, no, people. I, I'm with you. Oh, yeah, I know you. you are. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and then Sadok points the stranger in the direction of his people so that they might help him find his stars. And, I mean, do you get the impression that he just wants to be rid of the stranger? Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and I mean, those pages were the ones that they tore a Nori, I guess, or Poppy, I forget which one, tore out of his book. I, I, I don't know if they tore it out of the book. They just, like, got, I can't remember how they got okay. But yeah, they, they, he was in possession of those right. before. And then Nori hands him the red apple. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's easy to go down that whole, oh, Garden of oh. Eden, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But right. I, I just think it's like the essence of goodness. You know, and that and that the apple, uh, you know, I mean, how, it's almost like we can't disassociate it from the Garden of Eden. But I think in this case, that's probably pushing it. And just the whole idea of just she just embodies goodness. There, there's not a bad bone in her body. So, right. You know, and, and then and then to hear her. Say, well, her femur was a little dodgy. But, you know, like the others are good. Yeah. If you heard a hair on her foot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but then to hear her say, "I'm just a Harfoot." That's all I'll ever be. You know, okay, foreshadowing because we know she's going to end up being far more than just a Harfoot. We don't know exactly, right. or maybe you do. I, you know, but I don't. I, 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 I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah, anything. I think the Harfoot were invented for you know. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, you know, obviously they are the forebears of the Hobbits. I mean, there's no question about that. <clears throat> Um, but I don't think Nori is going to be the one because the hobbits in the Lord of the Rings are a very homespun 
people. I don't know if that's – I keep coming up with the wrong words today, I think. Yeah. But, you know, they don't like going out. They don't like adventuring, right? They like staying put. They like staying by the fire and warming their feet and smoking their pipe and stuff like that. So someone like Nori is like kind of the antithesis of what the uh, the later hobbits will, will be like. So, um, so as far as her per se being some kind of matriarch of the hobbits, I don't necessarily see that, but – would not necessarily be surprised if she were some kind of distant ancestor of a family called Baggins. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, we're introduced to three new characters who are clearly searching for the stranger. And you know, if you look them up in IMDb, the nomad, the ascetic, and the dweller, we don't really know much about them other than their magic is powerful. That is for yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, granted... The Harfoots did threaten you a little bit, all right, but still, like, kind of harsh, burning down all the apple trees, right? And their carts, and their carts. So you know, then we're we're led to believe, okay, does that mean the stranger's bad and he's one of them, or they're bad and they want to control his power, which seems more likely, or you know, maybe just very very strict. Yeah, maybe they just overreacted to a situation. I mean, you know, maybe yeah. these were the first Harfoot they ever encountered. But you know, threatening was probably not a good idea. But still, you have to love the reaction. Sure. And, and you know, when he says, you know, the one thing about we Harfoots, and I'm thinking like he was going to say something like, you know, look, how, how many times as coaches have we said to our players, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get up. And and I thought he was going to have his version of that, but his was even better. It's like we stick together. We stay true to each other. And yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, that was good again. Um, so does Nori, At which point Nori says peace out. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> but does she misdirect? Does she, have the- yeah, she points the other direction, okay, right? Okay. But they're that probably is what really pissed them off. You know, they're like, girl, I know you're lying. Come on. All right, what else uh, that we haven't talked about yet? Well, one thing is I just realized I knew during the third's voice sounded really, really familiar. And I'm like, ah, finally I'm like, okay, that's who that is. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but it's the guy who played James Delos in Westworld. Oh, okay. Remember the guy? He was like, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the voice sounded familiar, and then just kind of hit me like big moment with Elrond kneels down before the king. Like Elrond is pretty smooth. Like you gotta give it to him. Like like he does know how to play kind of politics, and um, he also had like the kind of little passive aggressive move of leaving the mithril on uh, on. Uh, Durin's table before he mopingly walked out the door, you know, like, I'm worried, I'm leaving, I'm really leaving, I'm going out the door, don't try to stop, you know, and everything. So he he, he definitely knows how to play the game, but I still like him as, as a character. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because then that makes me think of, of the scene when Galadriel comes before the queen and she kneels before the queen and the queen says, we don't kneel in Numenor. Right. Which again, I, I, it tells you everything you need to know about this queen. Sure. So anyway, yeah, that's cool. Carry on. Um, you know the 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 Durin's dad having this his vision of 
you know, or Durin being a sickly baby that, uh, you know, was on the verge of death, but then his dad had this vision of him with a gray beard and being a great king, which we know is going to happen, right? We, you know, we know, like, uh, from the Lord of the Rings, Durin is one of the most famous dwarves of all time. So, you know, we know he's got big things in, in his future and everything. They just keep, like, toying with us, like, oh, you know, they're dead, but, um, you know, like, Erendir and, and Bronwyn, we don't see them for most of the episode and we're like oh no are they dead like he goes into the hospital and sees you know underneath a on a table with someone covered with a sheet there's like a shock of black hair like oh no is that Bronwyn of course it's not Bronwyn for crying out loud you know I don't even know why they they keep trying to do this to us you know and like the whole thing with this sealed door you know we're not buying it so yeah, I mean the arrow didn't take her out you know right exactly yeah like you're gonna. She gets shot with an arrow. You're gonna save her from that, just to have her die in, you know, a, you know, well, an apocalypse kind of, you know, thing. Oh well, I, I mean, the the very end when they have, you know, it shows the Southlands and it says the Southlands up in the upper right or left hand corner, and then that disappears and it says Mordor. That was pretty tight. That was cool. Yeah. So I think that's all I got. Okay. All right, well, listen, we got more listener feedback than usual this week, so uh, I'll throw it over to you first. All right, this one is from Joe Herbers. Joe, thank you for your feedback. It says, my wife and I are enjoying the show, her more than me, as the season has gone on. It feels like they are affected by the contractual limitation of only eight episodes a season. The episodes are now over an hour long, as Dave well knows, but it feels like there are missing scenes. For example, in episode six, why did the Numenorians know they needed to ride at full speed at that exact location to stop the orcs from killing everyone? Seems like there should have been a scene of them fighting the tower, maybe seeing the town in the distance and realizing what was going on. I referred to my uh, comments from last week. I'm completely in agreement with that yeah, there, Joe. Uh, this week, the stuff with the dwarves and the elves is very good. You can understand and sympathize with everyone's perspective. The Harfoots were interesting, too. But the scenes in the Southlands were kind of odd. There was good emotional bits, but the actions often didn't make sense. Everyone was in the village when the eruption hit, and apparently about everyone survived. Galadriel was helping people, but then somehow she got Theo. Somehow she and Theo got separated from everyone. They were wandering around, hiding from orcs, acting like they didn't know where the others were. Though later he seemed desperate to find his mom. We see Elendil leading people away, but he didn't seem to have checked for his son. Or even the queen until later. Yeah, again, I agree. Isildur has a building collapse on him, but we know he's not dead. It's okay if they want to keep his fate unknown to the characters, but why try to fake this out? Agreed. Uh, Bronwyn in her sleeveless dress seems fine despite having taken an arrow through the torso. Magic seeds? Uh, the sudden king looks to be on his deathbed with an evil question mark wound, but then he's galloping off on a horse like he's fine. Yeah, that was that was bothersome. And I'm worried about the ending with the Balrog. It seems like the leaf happening to fall into his area was going to trigger something. I'm hoping instead it was just to show that there are evil things very nearby. Gandalf's description of the dwarves dug too greedily and too deep doesn't seem like it really applies here, or at least it shouldn't yet. Thanks for the podcast, Cincinnati Joe. Okay. Um, you know, the only thing I would say, Joe, about your comment about Elendil not seeming to have checked for his son or, or the queen until later. He really looks dazed 
at that point when we first see him. I mean, he's covered with soot still. You you can see it on his face, on his uniform, in his hair. And it's understandable. I mean, he he clearly gets his, you know, bearings, but uh, he's not my favorite character after this episode, but uh, I'm going to cut him a break there. Yeah, and, and I, I, that that last bit about the Balrog. I, yeah, I don't think this is where they. We know from Lord of the Rings that the dwarves and and Durin wake up the Balrog. They they stir up the evil, as the great line that Joe cited there. I, I don't think the leaf is what triggered them, but I think they, that they are going to end up mining uh, the Mithril a lot, and ultimately they're going to. It's just kind of a reminder. I think, as you said there, Joe, that there that evil exists. That it's there. That you can't kind of escape it anywhere and that the dwarves ultimately are going to unlock this. So, All right. Well, Ben Mason checked in via the Facebook group and he's going to continue this theme. He says, I felt the same sense of disorientation too. Why were they rushing? How did they know they needed to be there now? When in Numenor, when the ship burned, there was some discussion about waiting versus going, but it was theoretical that people could be getting killed and need them. Also, while I understand it's being used for dramatic effect, it's a pretty common trope to show them losing the battle, it's almost over, and then rescuers come in at the last moment. It always plays much better when there's someone or a group that's been forgotten about that then swoops in. I'm nearly certain it was done at Helm's Deep or in some other Lord of the Rings battle. But related to this, I feel like the sense of scale seems off. Usually when a village is focused on like this, it's used as a sort of stand-in for all the other villages. Are there only 50 men total in Middle-earth? In part of the disorientation, I wasn't entirely sure that the Numenorians would swoop in to rescue this village. I mean, why this one, if there are more? And if there are not more, why? In Lord of the Rings, I got the feeling that Gondor and Rohan were the dwindling vestiges of a once great kingdom that had been ground down after battling Mordor. Here, I'd be expecting to see these kingdoms rising. Is my timing off? The battle between forces of Sauron and forces of men just feels small. Thanks for mentioning the maps. I haven't seen anything about those. I must look for Fred's info. And that's been another disorienting factor for me. I grew up reading The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and while I don't have a photographic image of the maps, I have a fairly strong memory of generally where things are, and all season I've felt like I've been lost. I've no idea where the Harfoots are traveling from or to, and I thought this village was somewhere else in Middle-earth. I guess Mount Doom is pretty grounding now for location, so maybe it was in service to the big reveal. But the Numenorians saying set sail northeast for Middle-earth and then showing up in Mordor after a hard day's ride just gets me all turned around. I know where Khazad-dun is. Where's Elrond and the elves? I don't think they've called it Rivendell, have they? And Even if names are different, I've really wanted a little bit more help in locating people on a map here. I'm sure I spent lots of time flipping around in Lord of the Rings books looking at maps. Now, on Theo, you guys said exactly what I've been thinking of when I mentioned his connection to Sauron a few weeks ago. Lord of the Rings has established that artifacts like that can have a very strong hold over people for a long time. I like Wayne's idea that it will be forged into one ring, but wasn't a shattered sword already part of the story in Lord of the Rings? 
Maybe I'm confusing Aragorn's sword with Sauron's hand that was cut off by Isildur when Sauron lost the ring. My memory is fuzzy. (laughs) And a final note, last week Fred nailed it on Bronwyn's costume. Her dress didn't fit the rest of the village, but in the last episode it changed, and I don't think I had any moments where I got distracted thinking about costumes. Well, they're listening to the podcast and reading the Facebook group. Come right. On. Sure. Now, when the Harfoot story comes back, maybe I like what they're doing, but they just need to turn it up to 10. I mean, does everybody need to have some sprig of grass in their hair all the time? All right. I was just going to comment on the battle timing in response, but this has turned into quite a bit more. Lots of things to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying I. You know, there, there definitely is a thing that, well, because we know that Isildur cuts off Sauron's finger because that's how he gets the ring of power, right? I feel like there might be some kind of a sword in there, but I don't think it's a hilt. I'm going to have to go back and look at the uh, the one wiki to rule them all. Oh, to, my God. Uh, I was on that. T- talk about <laughs> rabbit hole. My. Oh, my God. Everything. There's so many links there's all these hyperlinks you can find you can definitely end up like a very very deep rabbit hole yeah, I, bl- I blame fred for that one so <laughs> anyway all right uh let's get to fred's feedback speaking of fred and we will be right back hello dave and wayne and all listeners to sci-fi tv rewatch this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for lord of the rings the rings of power season one episode seven First off, regarding Wayne's question in the last podcast about a one-month subscription to Paramount Plus, what to do with it, you were wondering watching Picard, I assume the second season. I surely would do that. I thought you already did that. And Strange New World is absolutely worth, if you're a Star Trek fan, to watch. Visuals are nice, as always. Uh, Sometimes it's fun. Uh, Quite some character-building Getting some backgrounds on known characters. It's quite okay. I was talking last podcast about Udenen, which is a area in northern Mordor, but somebody else on another podcast also explained it's also the word for hell. So that was what the orcs are chanting, that by the explosion of Mount Doom, that they created hell, probably. Okay, about episode 7. On its own a great episode, I will give it a B+. Actually, it would earn more. But because I'm so depressed by the whole demeanor of this episode, I really can't give it a higher grade. Don't know if an episode can have a demeanor, but I mean the whole, yeah, depressing negative setting. The fact that I feel like that actually proves that it does its work very well. Okay, let's get two medical nitpicks out of the way first. So the first is when this burning house is collapsing and later possibly Isildur is buried under that. It collapses and it gives kind of sparks and then the regent queen grabs her head and covers her eyes as a sign that she has burned eyes or something like that. But when we later see her on Allendale's, Captain Allendale's horse, we don't see any burn wounds. The only problem is, is that she's getting blind. So how is she getting blind with the cause of her blindness being 
fire sparks on the outside without burning wounds. And there is also a close-up of her eyes when she's sitting on this horse and we don't see any problems on her cornea, so the outside of her eyeball. Uh, the second one is Halbrand. He is quite wounded and Caladriel even says you need elven medicine. Well, we don't see that applied, but if they did, it worked wonders. Because when we see him coming out of his tent, he is still a bit shaky on his feet. And I would expect if he was going on a horse, that that horse would just go step foot in a walking pace away. And not galloping full speed with a person on his back with this kind of injuries. A bit strange. Or this elfin medicine does wonders. And especially in no time. And if you never rode a horse and think the horse does all the work. Well, no, not true. Riding a horse is hard work. So what is it in Durn Tree that he refuses to help the elves? On one hand he doesn't want to risk dwarf lives. But on the other hand it's a principal thing. We are constructed of stone and fire, and the stone longs for eternal life. But the fire consumes it, so everything should end. Is he a kind of jealous on the longevity of the elves? Or is it just a belief that it shouldn't happen, and that it's quite the right time for the elves to be normal as any other? Okay, what do I expect or hope for? First off is, of course, that... Isildur's horse finds him and possibly even brings him back. Of course his father won't know because they don't have cell phones. I do think that the regent queen gets her sight back. I hope she can convince to get more Numenorians to the Southlands to fight. And perhaps she even can tell her dream about the flood. So saying, people, if you stay here you will be drowning anyhow. So come to Middle-earth. Furthermore, I just hope that Durin III just gets a heart attack and, and Prince Durin just can take over, together with Daisa, who proves to be quite a career woman. And even if Durin gets the dwarf throne, he still has a little problem with a Belrog in his cellar. Halbrand and Galadriel will reach the high elven king Gilgalad, but if he is going to cooperate is the big question because we have the feeling he has a kind of hidden agenda. The Harefoots will find the stranger back and there will be a big fight between him and the ones that follow him. Okay, time's up. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Now mentioned grade up front and Fred gives this one a B plus because of how depressing the episode was. And I totally get it, Fred. I mean, uh, I'm going with an A, but I certainly wouldn't argue with your reasoning on grading it down a little bit. And, you know, I, what are you giving it for a grade? I, I think I'd like to give it an A. Okay. You know, right. it was definitely, there are definitely some bummer moments in it that I, I understand, but and again, there, there was, especially with all the action we had last episode, um, there was certainly a lot less uh, action going on, but still like a lot of good development. Uh, and really that last image of, you know, the, again, Southlands turning into 
Mordor um, that's very harrowing. And it's just, there's so much that we know, like, as we're seeing here, like, the the beginnings of all this stuff that's going to culminate in that great story of the Lord of the Rings, right? And this is just kind of all the backstory, all the stuff that happened way back when that we only hear about through stories in the Lord of the Rings book. So um, it's just really cool. I'm really enjoying this show. Yeah. Now, Fred brings up several medical nitpicks, and I was glad that that Fred does that. I totally agree. I mean, I know it's fantasy, but, you know, come on. I mean, these are humans that we're dealing with predominantly in, in, in the, you know, the Numenor battle scene. So while, okay, fine, we'll make an excuse how Galadriel survives that that wall of fire that seems to just smack her right in the face the humans on the other hand i'm just shocked how many survived and i think fred also talks about you know the 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 heat or 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 the effect that the heat of these fires should have had he mentions the queen and okay fine she's blind but you know, why do there not necessarily appear to be any burns on her face as well? So right. I don't know. You know, that's just one of those things that that it does bug me. But then on the other hand, it's it's not Game of Thrones, and and that's okay. I mean, you know, it is what it is, and and you know, we've talked before that they're not trying to be Game of Thrones, and no, definitely not. Right. You haven't seen one breast right. this entire time. So. Okay. I see I was going to be the one to say that. So you you you, you rescued me there. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I'm not saying that like that's a bad thing. I'm just saying like that is I mean like the um yeah. Whereas Game of Thrones would have had Halbrand and Galadriel going at it, you know, 3 episodes ago. Um this uh you know takes kind of like a higher road, right? And the story they're telling is not of base human desires or anything like that, but it's about, you know, like good and evil basically right right i mean we see some blood-stained clothing but uh, you know that's that's about it so uh, yeah nothing yeah. like nothing like what we saw in the last oh uh, episode of the house of the dragon man you know the yeah and the, and the, the least of which was uh you know Day- <laughs> damon uh standing up for uh so i'm always confused let's see i guess they're his nephews <laughs> yeah okay yeah um, um are they well they're kind of his yeah right sons too right, right? Like yeah his stepsons yeah. and his great nephews yeah. and okay. yeah when you start marrying your family members it just gets so confusing yeah now fred mentions about isildur's horse is going to find him uh, do you think the queen's going to get her sight back i think that's a good good guess uh, on fred's part i don't know man i think i think she'll probably i think it's a little bit more badass that she's like gonna Kind of coming back with this war wound, you know, okay. like she's got the red badge of courage. Okay. She says she sees gray. So, you know, I guess she sees something and, you know. Right. Anyway. Um, all right, Fred, thank you. Ben, Joe, thank you for your feedback. It's always awesome to hear from. Yeah, you for know, sure. Thank you, everybody. Listeners. Um, all right. Any final thoughts? Or are you ready to get out of here? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not looking ah, I know what you to mean. get out of here, yeah. Dave. Yeah. Don't, don't say it like that. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Rings of Power. Anything else going on in your genre TV world? Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Uh, 
Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at Gmail is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about Episode 8, the season finale of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. But until then... You know, Dave, you can really say whatever you want, but I don't like it when you keep slag on my mother. <laughs>